Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon, joined as usual by Jake McGee and Dave Somerville. How are we today, gentlemen? Hola, we're all good here. Jake, how are you? Another day in paradise, my friend. Another day in paradise, indeed, yes. Now, obviously, there was a game at the weekend there, uh, a certain game between the Rams and the Bengals. <laughs> Yes, Dave obviously can't wait to start talking about that one. But uh, we're actually going to start our show, uh, as usual, with the latest news from around the league. Starting with the news that the Minnesota Vikings have hired Kevin O'Connell as a new head coach. Uh, O'Connell formerly with the Rams. Uh, Dave, as a Rams fan, what do you think of this hiring for the Vikings? I got it, to be honest. I feel like the, the majority of our backroom staff are going to get picked and you know it's separated across the whole of the US basically i mean it, it is a loss for us i think we have we did do well over the last couple of years to replace people that have gone on to well i, I think maybe it's debatable whether it's better things but uh, other things shall we say but yeah I, I wish them all the best we're also trying to hang on to our d- defensive coordinator by the you know the, our fingertips but i'm not overly enthusiastic that we will um i, I think sean, sean mcvay the only rebuild job he's going to have to do will be his backroom staff at this point yes nobody wants to really do a rebuild do they um jake what do you think of the o'connell hiring do you think it's a good fit i think it'll be an interesting fit so obviously whether he's going to stick with mr cousins or if they're going to look for a new quarterback um but on the back of what Dave's saying in terms of the hirings, uh, they're supposedly looking at the assistant head coach and running backs coach of the Rams as well, Thomas Brown, for the offensive coordinator. So it is a, a curse sometimes when you're a good team is that everybody goes for your staff. It is the danger when you've got a successful team that they're always going to, there's always a risk of losing players through free agency and of course losing your coaches uh, that can be absolutely devastating if losing all your coordinators everyone wants the next Sean McVeigh. everyone wants the next Kyle Shanahan that's just what these teams look for so hopefully there won't be too much uh, rebuilding going on although I did see that the Bengals themselves have uh, re-signed Zach Taylor through the 2026 season after their Super Bowl run so well done for him with regards to what you were saying about uh, Kirk Cousins Jake do you think the Vikings will stick with him? Do you think they'll maybe look to to trade him? Um, is he still under contract? Do we know? I think he's still under contract. He's just one of them. I, you kind of know what you're getting with him. He's a, a steady starter. But if the Vikings or anyone else thought they were signing a superstar, I think that they were a bit deluded. I think he's just a steady starter, probably transitioned into a, a nice backup. But I just don't think he's going to be the one that's going to... I mean, he excites anybody. I know exactly what you mean by Kirk Cousins. He had an, statistically a nice season last year. He 66% completion, 4,200 yards, 33 touchdowns to seven picks. The Vikings went 8-8, eight and eight, but most teams would take those stats, those passing stats. Um, David, what's your opinion? What do you think of Kirk Cousins as a starter? I'd like to go in the opposite direction from what Jake's going on, actually. Uh, I think I... See a lot of similarities between Goff and Cousins in the form, or in the way I should say, that um, yes, you do know what you get with him, um, but you don't know, or the only thing that you do know is that you don't know which Kirk Cousins is going to turn up from game to game. I I think his stats are great for the season, probably the best season he's ever had. I I, I mean, I think the Vikings, because they are they are in their foundations a run first offense um i mean when you've got a weapon like dalvin cook i think that is perfectly understandable and acceptable but um no if i was a vikings fan i wouldn't be overly enthusiastic about kirk cousins sticking around i think the amount that he is getting paid and the the, the space that he's taking up on salary cap is just astronomical um yeah i, I think it would be better for the Vikings, if they if they found someone they were confident in that they could replace him with, I think the Vikings should do that. I think the NFC North is so open next year. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers pending. Um, I'm, I'm sure we will get onto that or, or opinions on that. But uh, I do think that the NFC North is so open. If you really want to take a bit of scruff of the neck, I think it might be time for a change from the Vikings. I mean, you could be right. Looking at what Kirk Cousins has done over his career... He has played well. I mean, he's averaging about 4,000 yards a season, averaging nearly 30 touchdowns a season. and But it doesn't reflect that in, in the win-loss column, which is important. And I don't like wins as a stat, but it's important. I mean, in this year, he went 8-8. Eight and eight. He missed one game, obviously. The year before, he went 7-9. and nine. 
10 and 5, 8, 7 and 1. And then back to Washington, 7 and 9, 8, 7, 1, 9, 7 and 0. It's just really not translated possibly as well as the, the Vikings would have liked. Yeah, I, I know I completely agree with everything you just said. But what I do think, though, is that the difference between Cousins being a good quarterback and a great quarterback is that there are moments where he could have stepped up just that extra mile. Um, obviously, again, looking through my Ramston glasses, I think the difference between Stafford and him is that Stafford has continuously stepped up when really required at the end of the day. He has really led you know game-winning drives time and time again. And I think with Cousins, if you, if you stick with Cousins... You have to invest in the offensive line for the Vikings this year. I think you, they've obviously got a more uh, run-orientated uh, offensive line. I think they should maybe invest in one or two kind of more preferred pass blockers. You give Cousins time, he will pick out that long pass. But I, I'd, I'd, I'd take Stafford all every day of the week over him. And it does. it's this kind of thing that does separate the good from the great quarterbacks. I think he did have um, kind of a a run in the uh, the prime time. I'm pretty sure he ended up like for a while. It's kind of a thing that he couldn't win a game in prime time. But I think he's harshly judged. I mean, he ranks third all time in completion percentage with at least like with over 1,500 pass attempts and sixth in the NFL's all time regular season career passer rating. So um, I I get what you're saying, Dave. In terms of obviously he's not maybe the clutch or going to come up in a big moment. But I think like I was saying earlier, I think he's just one of those kind of good quarterbacks that you know you can't really expect too much more i think he's kind of at his ceiling yeah i think he's he's a good pocket quarterback you know he's very very good at what he does he does the basics very well i just think that he's missing something to take him from that to that next step where he could be considered great instead of just good it's difficult because we're, we're struggling here to evaluate someone who's been in the league for i want to see you know, 10 years. He came into the league in 2012, albeit he didn't play much in his first three years. But after 10 years in the league, we're tr- struggling to evaluate whether or not he's a franchise quarterback. Plus, at the end of it, you get paid, especially as a quarterback, t- to win the game. You're right. That is what you get paid for. And the problem seems to be that the record, as we said, doesn't reflect his statistics. There's not many teams in the league that wouldn't take 33 touchdowns against seven interceptions. And if you offered that to any team batting a, a few, maybe eight teams in, in the entire league, they'd take that in a heartbeat. And I get where you're coming from with Matthew Stafford, Dave, because he does elevate the teams around him. You feel like, you know, when the game's on the line, you need to drive, he can provide it. He did it in the Super Bowl. He did it countless times with the Lions. And his performances got lost on some pretty bad teams and bad records in Detroit. And I don't think anyone would blame Matt Stafford for the results that those teams had in his in his uh, 10, 12 years in Detroit. Yeah, I think the Lions are to blame for that. <laughs> Just the Lions in general. Detroit are to blame for that. It, but um, I, for, well, one thing I'm curious, though, um, both you guys support teams that are, you know, expected to potentially make moves for quarterbacks in this offseason. So... You know, you've got uh, rumors of Aaron Rodgers to the Broncos. You've got rumors of everyone to the Saints. So, what, if you guys had the opportunity to pick up Kirk Cousins in a trade, would you be happy or would you be disappointed? What What are your opinions, uh, Jake? I'd like to ask you first because I think since you've had Drew Brees for such a long time and you had a kind of your last season, it wasn't the most success, successful season, obviously in New Orleans history. But um, would you be happy with Kirk Cousins? Well, but when you say trade, absolutely not. Um, if he was a free agent, I wouldn't mind us inquiring, but I wouldn't want to trade for him. Um, I mean, last year we played with, from the top of my head, at least four different quarterbacks. I managed to win games. So I think it's obviously different now without Peyton, but I mean, it's interesting to see what will happen this offseason. Obviously, with Winston, what's going to happen with him? We've got Simeon, we've got the, ro- well, the rookie Ian Book. So it'll be interesting, but... Like I say, Kirk Cousins could come into the Saints or a team like that and, and keep us afloat, but he wouldn't exactly get me excited. That's a good point, Jake. I think with regards to the Saints, a fully healthy James Winston would be just as effective as Kirk Cousins. I think that, you know, we know that he can throw for 
30 touchdowns in a season. That's never been his problem. The problem has always been the turnovers. He, he, he will throw 30 interceptions at the same time. That, that isn't what happened. So my question to you, Jake, would be a 100% healthy James Winston versus Kirk Cousins as a direct swap. Do you take that trade? Um, I would say no. And I might be wrong and I might get uh, abuse for that. But I think Winston obviously knows the locker room, knows the playbook. I feel like he fits the mentality and kind of the, the excitedness in the locker room. I would rather have that familiarity and take the high risk, high reward with Winston rather than pick up Cousins, who would obviously have to pick up the playbook and find that chemistry with teammates. And then, like I say, he would probably throw a lot less interceptions, um, but he might throw less touchdowns as well. And then, of course, you've got to take cap hit into consideration as well. I'm not sure what kind of contract um, Cousins is under. I did see details for that, actually. Um, I think that uh, the current cap space is between 25 and $35 million for next season and if there was uh, the cap penalty to trade him basically would be 10 million so you would free up potentially 25 million in cap space uh, for the vikings if they were to trade him i mean that's a lot of cap space for one player yeah and that's why that's why i'm very curious about what their next move is going to be because not only are they paying an absolute fortune for a guy that hasn't been able to take them to that next level but there could be other well, more preferred options, shall we say, out there. And I'll answer your question, Dave. Would would I take Kirk Cousins on the Broncos in a shot? I wouldn't even think twice about it. I think it would be an upgrade. And I don't know what the alternative would be. If uh, we don't trade for a veteran, I don't see us drafting a rookie. So what's the alternative? Another year with Bridgewater and Locke? I'll take Cousins. And I don't think the Broncos will draft a quarterback this year because all the experts are saying that there's just not that much depth in this year's draft. So I think Kirk Cousins would be enough of an upgrade over our current quarterback situation that um, I think it would be a, a good a good signing for the Broncos to have someone like Kirk Cousins. Everyone knows that uh, the Broncos looked like the quarterback position was the only position in which they were lacking. And it would be unfair to say that Bridgewater and Locke held them back. I think that was mostly the, the offensive play calling that held the Broncos back. I mean, Denver has an absolutely stacked roster. And it is. It's stacked offensively and defensively. And their downfall has been play calling. It, it really has. A couple of injuries, no, nothing major more than any other team. It's been play calling. And uh, the, the special teams put us in a lot of holes. We had a lot of special teams miscues. And I think that the Broncos really just need to get something right there. They got rid of uh, Tom McMahon, who was the um, special teams coordinator. And I think that's a, one of the best moves that they actually made. I think that'll affect the team. Um, that and the finding of Pat Sherman will have a huge effect. As I said previously, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, we all know who Teddy Bridgewater is. Drew Locke, we have no idea. He is third-year Kirk Cousins. We don't know what he is. Just impossible to evaluate. So um, I think, yes, if Kirk Cousins was offered, I would take him definitely. Over Aaron Rodgers? Of course not. Not over Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, I felt that coming. But at the same time, I no one knows what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, no. he could end up at the Saints for all we know. Or he could sign another three-year deal with the Packers. I mean, the rumours are the Packers are going to do everything in their power to keep him. And I think they'd be daft not to, unless there are actual locker room problems. And I, I think the Packers would be crazy not to keep him on. Um, I've gone slightly off Aaron Rodgers as a trade because I think he would just cost too much and I don't think it would be enough uh, for the team to get a player don't get me wrong he's an incredible player he's one of the best quarterbacks he's ever played but I think you would have to ransom half your team just to get him there and I don't see the point of that going forward Um, given a choice uh, of free agents if all the off-field issues went away I would want Deshaun Watson because I think the, the league missed him last year. 
from what he brings to the game. I think I hope we don't miss him again this year, but we're not going to speculate on what may or may not happen with all these lawsuits. So uh, Deshaun Watson is my is my number one target if the off the field issues were were not an were not an issue at all. And uh, if I had a second choice, I would probably go for Russell Wilson. I think he's another incredibly talented player. Um, I think he's wasted slightly, but I would, I'd forgive him for his time at Seattle if he became a Denver Bronco. And I think he could improve our, our team. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I feel that, uh, I, I don't think uh, Wilson's going anywhere. I, I think that Seahawks will try to re-sign him for a couple more years anyway, have a look in the next couple drafts, who's a, who's a prospect, who could replace Russell Wilson. I think you would be trading a lot to get Russell Wilson. He's got Has he got one year left? Am I right? Am I wrong? Um, his contract situation? I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know much about Russell Wilson's contract, unfortunately. Um, Jake, do you have anything to add before we move on? Just a few things about injuries, really. Obviously, the only good news the Bengals have had in the last few days is that uh, Burrow was just a knee sprain and there's no surgery required. Uh, OBJ, we know, was his ACL, the same knee as well, which is obviously not ideal. And then the last one being Eric Weddle, who obviously unretired at the Rams' request, got himself a ring, tore his peck and is re-retiring. I don't really blame him for that. No, and he played for so long in the game with that torn pec. He had two tears in his in his pectoral muscle. I think it was his right arm, right shoulder. And he played on like a champ. Didn't didn't let people know about it. Yeah, they knew there was something not quite right, but he still played out his skin. Try to get us that magic ring. But moving on to the ring story, I think Nyosa, I'll yeah. let you take this away. I'll just I'll just, you know, smile. We do indeed need to talk about the game that happened on Sunday. The Los Angeles Rams played host, well, technically they were the visiting team, um, and the to the Cincinnati Bengals in Super Bowl 56. For those of you who watched it, it was indeed a splendid game, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, for those of you who didn't watch it, um, what are you doing listening to this podcast? Um, I'm impressed, thank you. Yes, thank you indeed. Uh, so the Los Angeles Rams defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20. to a thoroughly enjoyable game by all accounts, uh, especially from an impartial point of view. And uh, quite a few people seem to enjoy that halftime show as well. And I am going to get your thoughts on this game. Uh, Dave, I'm not going to start with you. I'm going to leave you on tented hooks for a while. So, Jake, uh, did anything in particular stand out to you about this game? What did you think? No, like you say, as a, as a neutral, it was a, a thoroughly enjoying game for the most part. I think the Rams had control nice and early and they looked like they were going to kind of cruise. Uh, but I think the momentum shift when OBJ obviously went down with his knee. But I think the the most important takeaway I had was that just the Rams won the trenches in terms of they tied the Super Bowl record with seven sacks. Bengals had two, and one of them was on the very first drive. Mm-hmm. So I think the Rams just kind of controlled their offensive line and then obviously got through to, to Joe Burrow um, frequently. So I think that was kind of the big difference I know exactly what you mean about the momentum. After that long touchdown to Higgins and then the interception almost immediately afterwards, you really felt the momentum shifting and it was reaching proportions that for a split second looked overwhelming. And uh, having been on the receiving end of a couple of Super Bowls like that as a Broncos fan, I was sitting there thinking, oh no, here we go again. Uh, We've all seen it, but uh, somehow Los Angeles kept it cool, uh, got back into the game and uh, they, they came away with the win. Their pass rush was solid through the entire game. Um, although Cincinnati were able to run the ball a little bit on them early, the, that front line of Los Angeles really took it over and, uh, and did a number on the offensive line of the Bengals. And the old uh, adage of defense winning championships, that may have been a perfect example of it uh, because there, there wasn't much to choose between the offenses. But that Rams defense, when it was required, was able to stop the Bengals. They were able to get into the backfield, get to Joe Burrow. And on the flip side of that, when it came down to it, the Bengals defense could not stop Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup. Although they did a good number on the run game, I think the the Rams were averaging two yards per carry. I don't even think it was that much at one point. No, you might be right. Uh, But Stafford was able to pass. He was able to get the ball to Cooper Cup, uh, particularly on that that final drive was very, very impressive indeed. I mean, that final drive where every single person, not only 
on the field, in the stadium, but also watching telly, knew that Cooper Cup was going to get the ball and they just couldn't stop him. I think he picked up four first downs on that final drive and everyone knew where he was going. So, uh, where, where Stafford was going, sorry, two Cooper Cups. The, the fact that he was able to do what he did, including that run on, on fourth down, was just incredible. I think my, my favourite takeaway from all of the Super Bowl was how calm I got Eli Apple, the former Saints cornerback, uh, who uh, two weeks before was quite happy with the addition out to Tyreek Hill and uh, Michael Hardman Jr. with on, on Twitter, saying he would pay for them to, to come to the Super Bowl. And then uh, all of Twitter took to... Uh, Eli Apple, uh, just to, to burn him a little bit. And even some of the, the Saints players got in on it. And it, I hope he uh, turned his phone off, basically, because uh, it's not a good place to be if you're Eli Apple. Yeah, I don't know why people talk smack before big games like that. Just don't do it. After the game, if you win the game, you can say anything you want. But before the game, especially a Super Bowl, just, you know, don't talk. Just, just st- stay quiet if you can. Comes um, back, come back to bite you. Of course, comes back to bite you, and and we've seen it far too often. So just stop doing it. Now, um, there were a couple of questionable calls in the game, uh, but against both teams, I'm not here to rag on the refs. Um, they're doing a job that is um, a lot more difficult than mine. I certainly couldn't do it, so I'm not here to have a go at them. But there was a couple of calls in that game uh, against both teams. I thought it was very interesting when, especially after the game, and I mean. Trust me, I, I don't like the refs, and I don't like the refs when it comes to the Rams, but I found it very amusing when at the end of the game, everyone's like, oh, obviously the Super Bowl's in LA, LA's a poster child, and NFL will try to gift it to um, the Rams, but everyone seems to forget the uh, T. Higgins touchdown, which was the most blatant uh, flag that, I've ever seen. That was one of the most, I hate to use the word egregious, but blatant penalties of all time of offensive pass interference. It was just incredible. I don't think we've ever seen one where he grabbed him by the face mask and it yanked his head around and, and it didn't get called. Yeah, I'd love to sit here and say, oh, the refs handed it to the Rams again, but it's just not true, I'm afraid. It's not true, no. I think we all know that. Um, there was some questions on the pass interference on the goal line against the Bengals. Um, that was a, a call I think could have gone either way. It could have gone either way. I've seen flags thrown for less. I've seen them not thrown for more. So um, I'm not really going to get into that. And on that note, Mr. Somerville, it's your turn. Would you care to chime in and uh, give us your point of view from Sunday night? If I was to write a news story on this, my subject heading would be post-traumatic stress. I have never been that emotional in a game before. I was drained come the end. And... Like you said, obviously, in the lead-up to the end of the game, some of the calls were very questionable. I mean, the Ramsey, I nearly lost my voice at. That was just ridiculous. I knew something had happened when it was live, when Ramsey reacted the way he did. He just kind of stopped. He was just like, what is going on? Um, You did mention the call on the goal line as well. What kind of swung it for me, thinking that, yes, it was a right call? Um, Was it the player's reaction to it? And he seemed relative, relatively, yeah, it was, it was pass interference. He did grab him. They're going to be watching. The, the refs are going to be watching them like a hawk on the goal line. If they see something like that, there's a, you're always risking it. So he did take the risk, and he was flagged for it. With the, with the, the events and goings on, and, uh, shall we say on either side of the half, I felt the momentum swing like a wrecking ball into me. That was that was horrific. I, I would not wish that upon anyone that wasn't a Seahawks fan. But um, aside, yeah, I, I mean the 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 interception, the first or second play after halftime. That's when the momentum was solely with the Bengals, and that is that is what really caused post traumatic stress. Uh, no, even even now, I, I come the end of the game. I, I could I could barely watch the telly. I was so emotionally drained from that. Um, I do think that the Bengals missed an opportunity then, though. They could have really put the foot down and taken the game from there. I think um, uh, when the Rams started to fight back a little bit, though, I I I just had that feeling that something you know there was just there's a lot more to come yet. Seeing 
Aaron Donald basically just reinforce a few things on the sidelines. Um, you know, he was trying to get the crowd going when the Bengals had the ball. I mean, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have even made the playoffs, I feel. He's every single play, right up until the third quarter, I feel, he had two, if not three people guarding him every single time. Um, the only reason that we got seven sacks is because he was playing. A lot of people were having to go then man-to-man. We made an adjustment just after halftime, though, um, where we start sending uh, one of our linebackers quite often uh, to pressure the quarterback. I think um, I think it was Lewis that got one of the sacks uh, in the lead-up because the centre was having to pull across towards Aaron Donald. We send the middle linebacker up the middle. Uh, running back tries to take him out, sort of skips over him. Joe Burrows takes just that extra second too long, and down he goes. So we'd made an adjustment after that interception that really helped us get uh, get over the line, basically. Um, but Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup. As soon as I saw Cooper Cup being guarded by a linebacker, I knew where the ball was going. I knew that it, as soon as I saw it was man-to-man, he's either going to just sprint away from him, it's going to be a touchdown, or something is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen for the Bengals, and you know, just that little grab seen by the officials, flag. Second flag uh, that led to first and goal straight after, that that was definite pass interference. Um, so it was put at the one-yard one line, and then Cup finishes off the drive. But that... Um, that final play where Burrows was about to be sacked, as soon as I saw Donald, he, he was set for one-on-one. As soon as I saw that, I knew what was coming. They, were, they weren't going for a short kind of slant. They weren't going for a quick release. They were going for a medium to long throw. Donald was getting him all day long. And that ring is going to fit nice. And I believe they were getting the rings fitted today. That ring is going to look great on Aaron Donald, and I hope he is not retiring. That's all I want to say. I, 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 before there's any kind of news at all, I really hope he doesn't retire. Our team will not be the same without him. I don't see Aaron Donald retiring. Um, I think that's the wrong attitude. I don't know where those rumours come from. Um, I think just be, I understand people saying he's had all pro seasons, pro bowls, now he's got a Super Bowl ring. You know, what more do you need? But the truth of the matter is, if Lawrence Taylor had retired after winning his first Super Bowl in 1986, then he wouldn't have been there to knock out Joe Montana in 1990 and the 49ers would probably still be winning Super Bowls. They'd still be on a winning streak. But if Aaron Donald does decide to retire, then fair play to him. You know, he can do that. But I don't see it. I really don't see it happening. I, 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 he, his interview after the Super Bowl, where he refused to even acknowledge it because he just wanted to enjoy the moment, it almost worried me because I, I do think that that's kind of an indicator that it's there. There is some sort of smoke to the fire. So if it is a thing, we're not we're not going to be able to replace him. He, he is an irreplaceable player. Um, I, I, I think that would be the difference between us going back to the Super Bowl again next year. There is, there is nobody like Aaron Donald. Um, you can get people to pass rush of course but there's no one that can do it like him there's no one that has the the stature of him there's no one that has a technique of him so an irreplaceable player could lead the league however let's be optimistic we won the super bowl we did what we set out to do matt stafford has his ring cooper cup has his ring he has offensive player of the year he has super bowl mvp i mean Cup he, could retire. I wouldn't begrudge him that. He does have Super Bowl MVP. Do we all think he deserves Super Bowl MVP? Yes. I would have been surprised if it went to anyone else. Yes, I do understand people who say that perhaps Aaron Donald should have got it. I get where they're coming from. But the fact is that uh, in that second half, and that last drive in particular, he was he was unstoppable. Uncoverable. Uncoverable. Uncoverable, yes. Um, I think the first half, the first half is what took it away from him, though, because he was being doubled and triple teamed every single play. He wasn't getting enough pressure on the quarterback. Other players were getting that, so you're not going to get merit for distracting other players. So I think that's probably what went against him for Super Bowl MVP. But um, I, you know, obviously, the, the, the numbers of the sacks, they don't lie. That, Seven sacks. 
That's true. And the final drive uh, was very similar. You gentlemen won't remember this. It was actually very similar to the final drive of uh, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice in Super Bowl 23, also against the Bengals. And uh, Jerry Rice won MB MVP in that game. I'm pretty sure he did. Someone could check that for me. But everyone knew that Cooper Cup was going to get the ball. Everyone knew it. And they couldn't stop him. Even on the fourth down play. I, I didn't think that he was going to get a handoff when he was in motion there, but I thought this ball is going to go to Cup. Everyone knew it, and there was nothing they could do. The main man, every single time. Uh, uh, can I also just verify, Jerry Rice did get uh, Super Bowl MVP in 23, followed by Joe Montana the following year. Yeah, we're not going to talk about Super Bowl 24, thank you very much. <laughs> so, 11 catches... 215 yards and one touchdown for Jay Rice in Super Bowl 23. Uncoverable. And uh, some people don't realise it was actually John Taylor who got the game-winning touchdown pass from Joe Montana to win that Super Bowl. And I know what you meant about earlier about his first half. You look at uh, Cup's stats and you say, well, how did he win MVP? You know, he, he didn't break X amount of yards. Uh, but when they needed him the most, he stepped up. And on that final drive, on that final uh, play at the goal line, uh, that they had, everybody knew, did you think for one second Eli Apple didn't know the ball was coming his way? Because if he didn't think that, then he should really reevaluate his position as a corner. Because I don't think anyone would think, well, maybe they're, maybe they're not going to throw the cup. They might be going to their third string tight end, fourth string tight end, was it? In fairness, in fairness to uh, Bryce, he played Bryce. very well for a third string. He's third also string. a long snapper. And he answered the call. He was called up, biggest uh, biggest stage of his life, and he, he did what he was asked to do. And he did it really, really well. But on that final drive, the fact that Stafford just looked for Cup and kept finding Cup and kept finding Cup, it was just, it was something to behold. And I think that performance uh, put him to over 2,400 yards for the season, really just hammering home how dominant he's been all year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can I also just clarify, uh, I actually got him mixed up with Jacob McCade, who used to be our long snapper and who was our previous third choice tight end. I believe we, we actually recruited a uh, long snapper specifically for long snapping and no other position in uh, Matthew Orzek. So yeah, we had one slight incident on special teams as well where uh, we wanted to kick an extra point. And yeah, I, I don't think our... Punter managed to get his finger on on the button with that. That would have been would have been a very costly mistake if the, the Bengals had managed to put together a, a quick drive and get to Evan McPherson. That would well, have taken to overtime, so it, it could yes. have been very costly. Well, I did think that three seconds after it happened, and yeah, another traumatic experience. Special teams rears its ugly head again. So that's a review of Super Bowl Fifty Six. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams. Thank um, you. Oh, yes, congratulations to Dave. You did a sterling job in that game. I did. Thank you. Yes, you did. So uh, now we're going to be looking forward to next season, obviously, but it's very early for us to be doing that. So before we do that, it's time for... Random Stats. Yes, Random Stats. Um, okay, so um, who's going to take the lead today? I don't mind taking the lead. I had one, and I've decided to move that one to my, my season review. Ah. And then I found I found a, a different random stat instead. Um, and of course, I had to make it Saints-related. So Jameis Winston, in week one, passed for 145 yards and five touchdowns, which is a record for the fewest yards in a game with at least five touchdowns since Eddie LeBaron in 1962. Eddie LeBaron. An extra nugget is that Eddie LeBaron came out of retirement to become the first ever Cowboys starting quarterback. So I thought... He, he's actually fascinating. I, I, I spent so much time just looking through Eddie, Eddie LeBaron's stats. He's a, a fascinating person to, to read about. And how are we spelling LeBaron? L-E-B-A-R-O-N. Eddie LeBaron. That's fascinating. That's a great name as well. You don't get names like that these days for players. I think he was the, the smallest quarterback to be in the Pro Bowl. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He, oh, honestly, you could spend an entire podcast talking about Eddie LeBaron after what I saw this evening. Sounds like a very interesting story, Eddie LeBaron. I recommend having a quick read about him. He's, he's yeah, it's very interesting. 
Sounds very interesting. Um, okay, so I'm going to give you my own random stat now. Obviously, we had the Super Bowl, we've had the Pro Bowl, and we had the Hall of Fame inductees. And I'm going to talk about uh, someone whose final year of eligibility, he did not actually make the cut even for the finals uh, for the Hall of Fame. He uh, is a wide receiver. He played from 1985 to 1997, spent two years with Houston and then moved to Buffalo. Um, and in his uh, career, he had 51 receptions, 779 yards and nine touchdowns. And I'm making the case that he absolutely 100% belongs in the Hall of Fame is a player by the name of Steve Tasker. Steve Tasker was a gunner for, on special teams for the Buffalo Bills. As a gunner for special teams, he made seven Pro Bowls, including six in a row. He made seven All-Pro teams. Each of those years he made the Pro Bowl, he made, set, he made the All-Pro team as well. Steve Tasker is the greatest special teams cover man of all time. It's not even a question. And um, he absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I'll tell you why. Because Steve Tasker is the best at his position by such a margin. You could argue it's more than anyone else at any position. Steve Tasker is so far ahead of everyone else that this his Hall of Fame induction shouldn't even be in question. And to test my theory, um, Jake, I'm going to put it over to you. In your opinion, who is the greatest running back of all time? Walter Payton. Walter Payton. Dave, putting it to you, who is the greatest linebacker of all time? Ooh... I've got to say Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis. Okay, in your opinion. So, Jake, can you name any other great running backs? Oh, hundreds. Yep. Dave, can you name any other great linebackers? A few, yeah, pretty much, but not, not overly. Not as many as Jake's running backs. So, can anyone name any special teams gunners? No. <laughs> can you name the ones in your own team? No. Uh, I know the Saints had a good one, but I'm pretty sure he's in Chicago at the moment. Uh, but I, I couldn't, couldn't name him. And this is why Steve Tasker belongs in the Hall of Fame. Because even people who never saw him play, a lot of people know his name. And all he did was play special teams. He was listed as a wide receiver, but he made his name in special teams. He blocked seven punts in his career. He was named the MVP of the Pro Bowl in, I believe, 1993. For a special teams player to win uh, an MVP of anything is uh, quite an achievement, in my opinion. But again, seven Pro Bowls, six, uh, seven All-Pros, including six in a row. This guy belongs in the Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, this was his last year of eligibility. So it'll now go to, uh, I believe, the senior committee uh, to try and get him in in the future. Steve Tasker, Hall of Famer. And that is my random stat. Well, lots of stats in there. It was a rough year for special teams because Devin Hester missed out as well. I think this was only his first, possibly his first year of eligibility, but I think he missed out as well. He did. And that's another tough one because he was the best at his position um, by a mile. Yeah. And in what is supposed to be the ultimate team sport, that's what they tell us, it's the ultimate team sport, Every position is valuable. Now, I'm not one of those people who's going to say that special teams is a third of the game. Of course it's not. It's mostly offense. It's mostly defense. But special teams is important. And when you have someone who is by far and away the best at their position, they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not overly surprised that he didn't get in first time. Yeah. But um, given the fact that he was so dominant, dominant at his position, and I'm trying to think, I mean, other than Brian Mitchell... Um, there's not many other returners who've been as successful. Cordell Patterson's done very well with kick returns, kickoff returns. In fact, I believe he holds uh, or is tied for the NFL record for kickoff return for touchdowns. It's the longevity of it. Yeah, of course. And uh, uh, some people would say that, that Deion Sanders would have been the best of all time if he'd stuck with just returning punts and kicks. Obviously, he was a cornerback. He played a little bit wide receiver as well. Uh, but the fact is, he didn't. Devin Hester's one who holds all the records. So uh, it's it's hard to argue that he is the greatest return man of all time. Dick Vermeil got in. Um, I have no problem with Dick Vermeil being in. Uh, although Mike Shanahan 
should be in. Mike Shanahan should have been in years ago. Um, so I do have a slight issue with Vermeil getting in ahead of Shanahan. Okay. Yeah, Shanahan clearly belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It, there's, there's no kind of doubts about that. I think th- this year was just kind of Dick Vermeil's year. Um, but yeah, I mean, two two amazing coaches. They're both of them with their longevity in the game as well. You know, both need to be recognised. I think. Yeah, Shanahan is still in the game. Really, he's completely well. Not just his son, but I mean, his running scheme alone has just changed the game. It has, um, and it's not just Shanahan. Um, there does appear to be some bias going on with regards to selections for uh, the Hall of Fame. Somebody told me, I wasn't actually aware of this, someone told me that Jerry Jones is in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was an involuntary now, laugh right there. I just, what? I mean, can we fact check that? Yep, um, in 2017, probably introduced himself knowing Jerry Jones. So Jerry Jones was inducted in 2017 before Pat Bolin, one of the most instrumental owners who shaped the, the league as we know it today. So if that's not bias, then I don't know what is. Um, apologies to uh, all you Dallas Cowboys fans out there. But not really. <laughs> not really. Um, so yeah, basically saying uh, Dick Vermeil, not saying Dick Vermeil doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Of course he does. But uh, Mike Shanahan should have been in years ago and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, so yeah, it does uh, smack a bit of bias. And uh, the Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is in danger of turning into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when you've got uh, artists from 15 years ago getting in and Iron Maiden still aren't there. So so that's uh, that's my two cents on that. But we still have one random stat remaining. So uh, Dave, can you hit us with your random stat, please? Yeah, I think I can. So I'll I'll do I'll do it in a similar way that I did last week. Um, so it's a little it's a random stat, but at the same time, it also a little uh, tester for you guys' general knowledge. Okay. So there have been four teams that have ne- never reached the Super Bowl. Can you name them? Four teams that are currently active. I can name at least two. Possibly three. I mean, the Browns and the Lions, that's nice and easy. Uh, Houston Texans? And I, I was, oh, Texans, I didn't think about. I, I would say the Jaguars. Relatively <laughs> new team not, and relatively tragic as well. <laughs> so we've got, we've got the Lions, the Browns, the Texans and the Jaguars. That's spot on. Well done, guys. Absolutely. Four of four. Well done. Yeah. I, um, the one I, 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 I tried to name them myself when I was having a look through, and the one I kept forgetting about was actually the Browns. But um, more of that, I just feel like since they, there's very rarely talk of the Browns being in the playoffs, let alone in the Super Bowl. But uh, I think the only other thing that I would probably bring up on that is um, there are actually two teams um, who have been and lost four times to the Super Bowl. And those will be the Vikings and the Bills. So, I mean, I th- I feel like if the Bills had managed to scrape through uh, past the Bengals, past the Chiefs, I think that would be number five with the Rams just being the Rams. Possibly? I mean... No, yeah. po- no, no, yeah, no, I mean, no. Th- uh, let's not take anything away from the Bills. The fact that they actually made four Super Bowls in a row in the 90s is just ridiculous. That's the most incredible achievement to to make four Super Bowls in a row. So let's take nothing away from that. Yeah, the biggest dynasty that never was. Indeed, and uh, another testament to uh, Mr. Parcells and Mr. Belichick for uh, scheming against that incredible Buffalo offense of the early 90s and just uh, stopping them dead in their tracks. So we've only got a few minutes left, guys, so we're going to have a quick uh, season review. Jake, do you want to kick us off? Uh, how does uh, how does the season pan out for you from your point of view? Was there anything in particular that stood out or that you'd rather forget? There was two things. One of them that was going to be my, my random stat, but I chose the, the Jameis one instead. And, and the fact that the Miami Dolphins were the first team in NFL history to go from a seven-game losing streak directly into a seven-game winning streak thought that was relatively impressive that was bizarre yeah uh but a, a concerning thing that i found is obviously quite a few people probably remember the cardinals started out seven and zero. um that was the first time since 1974 and obviously you know they ended up fizzling out and losing in the playoffs to the rams but this is the third straight year or season they've ended with a bit of a collapse so in 2021 
they lost four out of the last five. In 2020, they lost five out of the last seven. And 2019, Kingsbury's first year, they lost seven of the last nine. So since he's been in charge, they've kind of tailed off at the end of the season. I don't know, I don't know any Cardinals fans, but I would be concerned if I was them. That's kind of a a pattern that since Kingsbury's took over, they just seem to, to fall at the end. I could actually probably interject here a little bit. Um, I think with the Cardinals, they seem to have, uh, when they do pick up injuries towards the end of the season, they don't overly have the depth to really replace these players. Um, and obviously, in towards the end of the season, you're most well, in the NFC West anyway, they mostly play against each other. Um, like, for example, our, our last, three of our last four games, I think, you know, we were against the 49ers, don't want to talk about that. Um, they, you know, we, we, they played us as well in the playoffs. I, I genuinely think that's a depth problem. I think the head coach hasn't quite addressed that. Maybe with some free agent pickups or uh, practice squad pickups, maybe as well. But I, I think that could be a depth problem. That I think the Rams had that the year they went a couple of years ago when they went to the Super Bowl against the Patriots. We don't have to talk about that. Um, but yeah, I think. Depth issues on the roster could be an issue for the Cardinals. I think they might need to sort that out. I think that makes the difference between a Super Bowl winning team. Is Look at the Rams, end of the season, well, middle to the end of the season, they're bringing in players like OBJ, you know, calling up Eric Weddle, making trades, making moves, whereas, like I say, teams like Cardinals, they end up fizzling out at the end. It's like if you had made a couple of acquisitions at the end, added a bit of depth, could have made all the difference. Yeah, we we also had um, big Andrew Whitworth. Uh, he was out injured for a few weeks there. We weren't even sure if he was going to make um, the 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 Super Bowl. You know, but he was going to be fully fit. We had uh, just Notebloom step in at left tackle, and he played fantastic. Uh, but, you know, it's not exactly the easiest game against anybody on the 49ers front line, but quite often. When, when that person's last name is Watt, I think that makes it even more difficult. Uh, no, not Watt, sorry, Bosa. Uh, if uh, The brothers in the NFL, it's always a thing. But um, yeah, that was an impressive display from Notebloom to sort of address that. But I think um, depth is really important. I think the Patriots do it year on, year in, year out. I think the, the in, the, in the, the past decade, I think the, the Pats have really been the kind of overachievers with the depth charge. I think they've signed a lot of players that will fit into their system that wouldn't be star-studded players, but they always made it work. And mm. yeah, I hate Bill Belichick for it. My favourite thing about the Patriots is they'll let players go, like Jamie Collins and Calvin Noy. They'll let them go in free agency, get their big contracts, and when they don't work out, they sign them back for, for pennies. And because they already know the system, it obviously works perfectly. It's It keeps happening, and we keep letting it happen, and the Patriots just keep doing Patriot things. Classic Belgic. Yeah, we're so used to the Patriots winning. I mean, 2020 was a strange year, uh, not only because of COVID, but because the Patriots didn't win an awful lot of games. And we're so used to that. And it's it's just one of those strange things. I mean, this year they, they finished 10-7 and seven and they made the playoffs again. But looking at division winners, if you look at the NFC, you had Dallas, you had Los Angeles, you had Tampa, and you had Green Bay. Out, out of those four, you know, um, who do you think is not going to repeat uh, in the AFC uh, with Buffalo and Tennessee and Cincinnati and um, Kansas City? You know, which ones do you think are the most vulnerable? I want to say the Cowboys. Uh, I I think I I I think that the cow the Cowboys don't know whether they're coming or going. I, I feel like with Dak, obviously they've got someone that they're p- placing their trust in. I think that I think the whole I mean the, the if the Redskins get a good quarterback uh, I think they could really push um I think the Eagles are looking for a good quarterback as well or like a new quarterback I should say um there's obviously been rumors um about the Eagles uh trading potentially for Deshaun Watson um that they've made contact with Aaron Rodgers you know it's I think I genuinely think the Cowboys are the one most at risk. They're they're playing last year. They played teams that were below par, and you know there's that old saying that you can only play who's in front of you. That's very true, but when you have to step up against teams that are, or that are on form, that have been performing, and 
the Cowboys failed at pretty much every vital step. And the thing is that the Cowboys did have the number one scoring offense in the league. They scored 530 points, but at no point watching them did it look like a powerhouse. At no point watching them did you think, wow, this team's going to do great things in the playoffs because they always looked vulnerable. In their game against the 49ers, I didn't think they were going to win that game against the 49ers in the wild card. And they didn't. They, they lost it. I mean, they had the number one offense in the league and they had the, the second best points differential only to Buffalo. But at no point did I think, oh, Dallas can go on a deep run in the playoffs here. I don't think anyone was scared of them at all. So how do you fix that? I mean, if you've already got the number one scoring offense in the league, how do you fix that point? I get exactly where you're coming from, uh, David, with regards to the Cowboys. There's an easy answer, though. There's a reason why Buffalo and Dallas were the top two scoring teams. I mean, look at the divisions. They get to play the Giants. I mean, Philly aren't exactly rock solid. And then the problem that we had with the Patriots for so long is they played the Bills, the Jets, and the Dolphins. Obviously, the Bills now are, have really built something quite special, but they still get to play the Jets and the Dolphins four times a year. They do, and, and on that note, you, you have to wonder why the Titans and the Bengals didn't score 600 points each uh, playing the, the Jaguars twice a year. Uh, that defense was absolutely appalling. And I think if there's one thing that we can take from the 2021 season is that Urban Meyer should never, ever, ever be let anywhere near an NFL franchise ever again. Or any bars, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were minus 204 points on the season. That's just unbelievable. I mean, even even the New York Jets didn't crack a negative 200 points differential in the season. I mean, they allowed over 500 points. But it's just, it's tragic. And the disparity is ridiculous. And you wonder if there's any way they can get out of it. But then you look at uh, a division like the NFC West or the AFC North, where it's so tight. There's only one or two games in it between, you know, the top three teams, even four teams. I mean, the Bengals won their division by half a game. It was a tie, the Pittsburgh tie. It's the only reason that uh, the Bengals won that division. But uh, we don't want to talk about it too much. Uh, we're coming up to the end of the show. So um, looking forward, guys, we're going to be talking uh, about the draft assets coming up, obviously. We're going to be looking at each division in turn. We're going to see which teams can improve, uh, you know, what they can do to try and get themselves into the mix for the playoffs next year. Um, it's been it's been a really good show. Obviously, we're going to keep up with um, all the news as it breaks around the NFL. But thanks very much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, everyone who's given us support in the last week's show, we got loads of great support and I hope you continue to tune in, continue to enjoy it and uh, subscribe to the WinFL show. I've been Ian McKinnon and I've been joined by Jake McGee. Thank you very much, Ian. And Dave Somerville. Pleasure as always. Thanks for coming around, guys. I appreciate it. And we'll catch you next week on the WinFL show.